The title of this morning's message is Jesus, our so great high priest. This morning we are continuing to look into the book of Hebrews and specifically into chapter 9. In chapter 9, the author is continuing to prove to his reader that Jesus is better. <laughs> Jesus is a better high priest of a better covenant because of his better sacrifice. The last time I ministered, we covered the first 10 verses of chapter 9. And we took a quick tour of the old covenant tabernacle. And we saw how all the things in the tabernacle were actually types and shadows of Jesus. And the last item we looked at was the mercy seat. The mercy seat is the solid gold lid that sat on the top of the Ark of the Covenant, which is both the place of propitiation or satisfaction and the place or seat of God's throne on earth. It's where the Spirit of God sat inside the tabernacle, which is so very typical of our Jesus. He is both the place of propitiation and the king of the universe who sits upon his throne. Which is also very interesting because there is nowhere else in the tabernacle to sit. <laughs> there weren't any other chairs. There's only one chair in there, and it was God's throne. <laughs> and Jesus is the one who rightfully has sat down upon it, and he rules and reigns forever. And he is able to do that because he has finished the work of making reconciliation and propitiation forever. The work of making reconciliation and propitiation under the Old Covenant was solely the work of the high priest, which is why the author of Hebrews spends so much time talking about Jesus as our high priest. Because to a Jew, there was no reconciliation or propitiation apart from a high priest presenting the appropriate sacrifices on behalf of the people. They knew that only a high priest could present an appropriate atoning sacrifice that could impart to them the blessing of life for yet another year. So these Hebrew baby believers who were enduring great persecution needed to be assured that what Jesus had done through his death, burial, and resurrection was actually sufficient to provide them with the promise of life for the coming year. Now, that's because these Hebrew believers were still trying to wrap their heads around how what Jesus did applied to them. They knew they needed a high priest to make atonement for them every year. <laughs> The Day of Atonement came around every year. So every year they were looking forward to the day when the red ribbon attached to the sacrificial goats and the door of the temple would turn white. Now, I don't think many believers today even think about Jesus as being a great high priest. And that's because we're Gentiles. <laughs> I never heard of such a thing as a high priest before I came to Christ. <laughs> and I can't tell you for how long I was in church before I ever heard a sermon out of Hebrews. It was like they just didn't go there. <laughs> they were always trying to get you resaved. <laughs> so for the most part, it's not something that we wrap our heads around easily. We don't celebrate the Day of Atonement in the church. I mean, we can talk about it and everything, but we don't have celebrations about the Day of Atonement. We have celebrations about the true atonement, Christ. And so understanding how these Hebrew believers understood 
that Jesus was Messiah, and somehow or another, <laughs> he managed to pay our sin debt. Messiah didn't necessarily equate into high priest. And so obviously our authors had conversations with people who said, how does this work? Because <laughs> we need a high priest. There is no forgiveness without a high priest. And so that is probably why the author of Hebrews wrote this the way he did. For the Hebrew baby believers, the high priest was a really big deal. They knew from scripture and experience that they needed an appropriate high priest. I mean, it was still happening. They could still go watch all of the proceedings, <laughs> unlike us. <laughs> they knew that only one man could bring an appropriate sacrifice to God on their behalf if they wanted to receive the promise of life for the following year. That is what was so important to them about the Day of Atonement, was when it was all done, <laughs> The blessing was you have life for one whole year. If you had sufficiently repented of your sins, and if you had appropriately beaten your, the stuffings out of yourself, if you had done all these things, and the high priest made atonement for you, then God would write you in his book of life. And that's what it was called, the book of life. Not the same thing as the Lamb's book of life. Because the book of life was good for one year. <laughs> no promises after that. <laughs> so this promise was particularly important to these Hebrew baby believers because everyone was trying to kill them. <laughs> the government hated them. The pagans hated them. The unbelieving Jews hated them. Everybody hated them. And they were living in constant fear of dying which is why they were contemplating going back into Judaism as a way to save their lives. It's like, this would be a whole lot easier to do that, Jesus. <laughs> we believe you, but hey. <laughs> so these Hebrew baby believers needed the author of Hebrews to explain to them how it is that Jesus was indeed an appropriate and approved high priest and why his ministry and sacrifice were actually better than what was happening at the temple that was still standing at the time the letter was written. So before we dive back into Hebrews chapter 9, I want to take you on a quick tour of the Day of Atonement. Hopefully it will be kind of quick <laughs> because that is part of our historical context. We can't understand what he's saying if we don't understand the Day of Atonement. We have to know the process and what they were doing in order to understand what the author is saying. So the Day of Atonement was considered the most sacred day of the year, and it was also the longest and most important and most exhausting day of the year for the high priest. <laughs> I have a picture of what a high priest may have looked like based on the written descriptions in scripture. Typically, the high priest wore his golden garments anytime he ministered in the holy place. These glorious garments actually contained threads of pure gold and when wearing these garments, the high priest was a representative of God before the people. That's why he looks so good. <laughs> this is also a type and shadow that reveals the truth that all of the work of salvation was provided by God through one man. It was a hint. 
<laughs> of what would someday come. <laughs> to prepare for the Day of Atonement, the high priest would spend 10 days in prayer, fasting, and repentance. Yep, they had to beat themselves up for 10 days because they understood that what they were doing was earning God's forgiveness. They understood it to mean, I deserve this. <laughs> I will give it to me instead of asking God to give it to me. <laughs> because the penalty for sin was death. So they didn't want that. <laughs> so they would work really hard at making sure that they were right. That was my Christian walk for years. Trying very hard to always make sure I was doing everything right. Always beating myself up appropriately. <laughs> Giving myself what for. <laughs> Which never never glorified Jesus, <laughs> but I thought I was doing the right thing. Besides beating himself up for 10 days, he would also be sequestered because if he was contaminated in any way, shape, or form, he would be disqualified to minister. Now, that's the most important day of the year. You don't want to be disqualified <laughs> to minister on the most important day of the year. <laughs> so they would have separate rooms and stuff for them so that no one could touch them or come near them. On the Day of Atonement, the high priest would set aside his golden garments and wear an all-white set of linen garments. Then he would perform the daily ministry in the holy place, the burning of incense, the tending to the oil in the lampstand, and also making the usual normal morning sacrifice. After that, the special day of atonement proceedings began. The high priest did not enter into the Holy of Holies in his glorious garments on that day because he was coming to God as a holy and pure representative of the people. This, of course, foreshadows our pure and holy Jesus presenting himself to the Father as our human representative of all mankind and not just for Israel. Let's take a look at the Day of Atonement while we also look at some more of chapter 9. The author of Hebrew didn't need to do this for his readers. They were Jews. <laughs> and I debated long about doing this because we are going to read all of Leviticus 16. <laughs> and I didn't want you to fall asleep. Because <laughs> it's kind of dry, like dry toast. It's good for you, but you don't really enjoy it. <laughs> but we are going <laughs> to actually read through Leviticus 16. In order to make it a little more palatable, <laughs> it will be in the ESV version, for easy reading. And I have pictures. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I have cute little pictures of the step-by-step -step progression of what the high priest did on the Day of Atonement. Hopefully, they will make reading through this chapter a little less dull and maybe even slightly amusing, <laughs> which normally it's not amusing at all. <laughs> Verse 1 of Leviticus 16. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they drew near before the Lord and died. Remember, they decided to do it their own way. <laughs> they found out that didn't work out very well. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark, so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. The other way he says, You can't just come in here any old time you want to. We're going to do this my way. <laughs> if you want to stay alive, you do it my way. 
verse 3. But in this way, Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for the burnt offering. One offering was to make atonement for his sins. The other was a typical representation of a complete and utter dedication to God. He shall put on the holy linen coat and shall have the linen undergarment on his body. He shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water and then put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and a one ram for the burnt offering. Now, that kind of sounds like he um, took something that didn't belong to him. <laughs> That's not what, what this says. <laughs> These animals were purchased out of the offerings. So they represented all of the people. But it kind of sounds like he just helped himself. He didn't. <laughs> They did this on purpose because these offerings were representative of themselves. That was the whole point. It wasn't just one person's offering. Again, the ram is a physical representation of total dedication to God. It was their way of being able to demonstrate the heart to God. I love that. It was that giving God your best offering. This is me showing you, God, this is how, how much I love you. I want you to have all of me. <laughs> That's what this offering was. It was, this is all of me. <laughs> this way the people could, by faith, understand that God saw these sacrifices as being applied to themselves. They were to be an outward demonstration of an inward reality, much like baptism is for us today. The second picture. Well, you see there, there's a, the little high priest. And he's got his offering there, and you can't really see it very well, but this little sign here says censored. <laughs> because they didn't want you to see the blood. <laughs> it's representative of him killing the offering, the bull. So the high priest had to kill the bull and catch its blood. And so that's what that is right there. And then it shows him going inside the whole place. So step one for that Old Testament high priest was to pay the sin debt for himself and his household. I like that. It included all of his household because he could not proceed without first being made right with God himself. Otherwise, he too would drop dead when entering into the Holy of Holies. Now, when I say that, it often sounds like I'm saying God is mean and rotten and <laughs> vengeful, and, and he's not. He never has been. God is not mean, and he wasn't being mean to Aaron's sons when they died either. Incidents like that were accomplished to indicate to the people that there is only one way to God, and it's his way. <laughs> it's not our any old way we want to go there. It's not pick a God, this God, that God, every God. <laughs> There's only one way to the Father. When we read through the requirements of the Old Testament laws, we can very quickly begin to realize that God and fallen mankind are very different. And they cannot peacefully coexist in the same space. <laughs> Not because God didn't want them to, but we're back to that nature problem. God has a nature like the sunshine. And fallen man has a nature like ice cubes. And just the very nature of God, which is good and only God, completely destroys that which is not like himself. Not because of anger but because of nature. Ice cubes melt in the presence of sunshine because their natures are completely different. It isn't that the sunshine is mad at the ice cubes. 
<laughs> they just cannot coexist because the goodness of God destroys that which is not like itself. Another good example would be light and darkness. There is no darkness in light, and there is no light in darkness, which is where fallen man lives. The light is not mad at the darkness, but when the light encounters darkness, darkness is instantly overcome and vanquished. It cannot remain in the presence of light. It has nothing to do with anger and being mad. It just has to do with being very different. The real problem ever since Adam and Eve chose sin, death, and darkness. But before they ever made that choice, God had already planned a complete reversal of what they had done. Thank you, Jesus. But before the fullness of his plan could be revealed, he chose Israel to become his bride and his picture book. Israel and everything they did was a picture book <laughs> so that we could see the pictures and understand the realities. The picture book would reveal our Father's great love and his great escape plan from all the power of sin, death, and darkness. And part of this great plan is pictured on the Day of Atonement, the day of bringing God and man into a relationship of at-one-ment, where Israel's sins were no longer separating them from his presence or his blessing. Atonement, at-one-ment. It was about reconciliation. It was about God continuing to live in the midst of them. Unfortunately, many years later, God said, okay, <laughs> I gave you all the time in the world to repent, and he left his temple. Not because he was mad, but because he was rejected. He hadn't rejected anybody. Israel had rejected their God. So the high priest could not come into God's presence and still live unless his sin debt had been paid and he entered according to the prescribed method and with the blood, which is what Hebrews 9 tells us in verse 6 and 7. Again in the ESV, these preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section performing their ritual duties. But into the second only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. Technically, it says once a year. It probably should have said one day a year because he actually goes in and out. <laughs> he only goes in once with blood, but he goes in and out, in and out, in and out. <laughs> in, in this version, the unintentional sins of the people. The sacrifices prescribed under the Old Covenant were always only for unintentional sins. Intentional sins were the ones that were not considered forgivable, such as murder, adultery, and Sabbath-breaking. You didn't commit those sins on accident. <laughs> you didn't wake up in somebody else and they go, oh, how did this happen? <laughs> it didn't work that way. These were willful, defiant sins. And the penalty for those sins was death. Thankfully, this is not our covenant. <laughs> but the point being, see, they understood that sin brings forth death. Okay, that's why they had to get rid of the sin problem. Because death was going to come and take them. So it was justice. If you purposely committed one of these sins, they would throw rocks at your head till you were dead. Because that was going to come anyway, and they needed to keep the camp pure. They needed to keep God's presence with them. 
So only unintentional sins were ever actually, quote unquote, had sacrifices for those things. Also, the sins against others were considered one's own responsibility. You were responsible to make amends with those you had sinned against and with those who had sinned against you. Which is why the Jews to this day spend 10 days prior to the Day of Atonement trying to repair all of their relationships, <laughs> making sure that they are in right standing with both God and man because it was required in order for them to participate in the Day of Atonement. This is why Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24 said this, So, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. The sins committed against a fellow man were often considered to be much more serious than the sins committed by simply breaking one of the 613 commandments. But even when they sinned against God, it was their responsibility to bring a sacrifice so that they could be cleansed and brought back into right standing. Also, according to some Jewish theologians, they believed that God was so merciful and so gracious towards his people on that day that God would even forgive the worst of sins even if the guilty party had not yet repented. It didn't really matter what the sin was. If you wanted to participate in the Day of Atonement, they thought God was so good on this one day that he would forgive anything, anything and everything, even if you had messed up really, really bad. This is why this portrays our Jesus. <laughs> because it doesn't matter how bad it was or how bad it gets. The sins have already been paid for. You see, this offering had to do with Israel as a nation, Israel as a whole. And so if he didn't forgive them, then he couldn't forgive everybody. It was like an all or nothing deal. And God so loved his people. <laughs> he says, on this day, I will forgive all, no matter what. That's Jesus. Anyway, this was all done to make sure that God stayed in the camp, that God stayed in the midst of them. Because this wasn't just about sins. It was about being cleansed, about being appropriate for God to live there among them. Also, the word unintentional. I looked it up in the Strong's Concordance because sometimes you think, what do they mean by unintentional? <laughs> And it says, according to the Strong's, it's a thing ignored, a shortcoming, an error. And then I looked it up in the Thayer's Greek lexicon, and the root word of it means to be ignorant, to not know, to not understand, something unknown to me, to err or to sin through mistake or to be wrong. I always think of the Apostle Paul where he said, coveting? <laughs> Coveting's a sin? <laughs> I would not have known that. I wouldn't have even known what covenant was, except that there's a law against it. <laughs> That's humanity. <laughs> what? What I'm doing is wrong? <laughs> so it was quite easy for someone to sin and not even know they had done it, which would still activate the law of sin and death against them without them even realizing it. So part of God's provision on the Day of Atonement was the forgiving of sins 
that they didn't even realize they had committed. They were polluting up all of the sanctuary and everything that was in it, and they didn't realize it. They didn't know how far they had fallen. If you ask the guy on the street, are you a good person? What is he going to tell you? doesn't matter if he's been in prison for 20 years and has done horrible things. He will tell you, yeah, I'm a good person. I'm better than the next guy. <laughs> Humanity does not know how far they fell when they fell into darkness. They think they're good. They're sinning all the time, and most of the time, they don't even know what it is they're doing. They don't think that sin is actually wrong. <laughs> Have you ever prayed one of those, please forgive me for all the sins that I can't remember? Because see, years ago, well-meaning ministers taught me a principle that doesn't actually apply to either covenant. It doesn't apply to the old covenant, and it doesn't apply to the new covenant. God has never been willing to hold unintentional sins against his people who were faithfully living according to what they knew. God has never been willing to hold unintentional sins against us, ever. But I was told, you die with one sin you didn't confess? <laughs> You're out. No, God has never been willing to hold our unintentional sins against us, ever. <laughs> and that's before I understood grace. <laughs> Thankfully, under the new covenant, our Father will not hold any of our sins against us because he has already held them against the body of Jesus. And our Father is just, and our Father is righteous, and he would not charge our sin to us if it's already been paid by Jesus. Now, under the new covenant, our Father still wants us to live in peace with all men, as far as it depends on us. <laughs> Some people don't want to be at peace with us. <laughs> they prefer war. But because we are saved and we have the love of God in us, he wants us to walk in love and to be at peace with others, even today. <laughs> Unlike then, our salvation is not dependent upon somebody else being right. <laughs> also, these scriptures tell us that the high priest was making atonement, the at-wantment, I looked up the at-one-ment in the Strong's Concordance. It means to cover, specifically with pitch. That's what that word is. <laughs> Figuratively, it means to expiate or condone or to placate or to cancel. It can also be translated appease, make an atonement, cleanse, disannul, forgive, be merciful, pacify, pardon, to pitch, to purge away, to put off, and to make reconciliation. Same word can be translated all these different ways. The idea is, is it is doing something to sin, to get rid of it. These are all the ways this word can be translated, but what it's referring to is the remedy that everybody needed in order to have relationship with the one true and living God. The problem with mankind is that all of us were in Adam, both genetically and spiritually, when he and Eve fell into sin. So they took everybody with them. There's lots of debate today whether or not original sin, what that means, blah, blah, blah. I don't care. <laughs> Adam took us into darkness because we were all inside of him when he fell. He took us into darkness. He plunged us into the kingdom of darkness where the law of sin and death ruled and reigned. So to get out from underneath that power, God provided them with a way in which they 
could have at one with himself. So let's go back to Leviticus 16. We have our third little picture, beginning with verse 7. Then he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for Azazel. This is not the name of a demon. <laughs> it's very popular on the internet. God is somehow paying Satan off. No. <laughs> God strictly forbids offering anything to a demon in chapter 17 of Leviticus. So it can't possibly mean that. This word Azazel is simply two Hebrew words shoved together. It's the goat that goes away. We call it a scapegoat. That's all it is. It's a scapegoat. Verse 9. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. So the high priest would kill the bull first and gather some of its blood in a vessel, and then he would kill the appointed goat and gather some of its blood in the same vessel. And then he would present the blood as evidence that a death had taken place on their behalf. And the blood evidence was placed inside the most holy place to clean, consecrate, and purify it along with the people. I love this. The temple had to be cleansed. The temple had to be cleansed. <laughs> it's a picture. God doesn't move in and leave us dirty. He changes absolutely everything. He said, when you accept me, I'm going to give you a new heart. That's a new nature. I'm going to give you a new spirit. That's being born again. He said, and then I'm going to marry myself to you and give you the Holy Spirit. <laughs> he had to change everything so it would be fitting for him to live inside so we are clean we are forever cleansed and nothing can ever make us dirty and unacceptable never nothing is more powerful than what Jesus has done verse 11 Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall kill the bull as a sin offering for himself. And he shall take a censer of, full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of sweet incense beaten small. And he shall bring it inside the veil and put the incense on the fire before the Lord that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony, which is the ark, so that he does not die. Again, God told Moses before, if you saw me in all of my fullness and glory, you'd melt like an ice cube. <laughs> you'd be obliterated. You can't look at me and live. I'm way too wonderful for you to be able to stand it. <laughs> so that's why they had the incense, so that this cloud would cover over his essence and you wouldn't die from looking at God's full face, so to speak. So God told them that they could not see him and still live. So they had to go in, head bent down, to make sure that they did what God said <laughs> so they wouldn't die. Again, it's not about anger. It's not about wrath. It's about God's supernatural, glorious nature. It's like Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. <laughs> if we saw our Father in all of his glory, it would kill us. <laughs> 
not because he's mad, but because he's so good and so powerful and so splendid. It's hard for our, our brains to wrap around that. But that's what it was about. Verse 14. And he shall take some blood from the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat on the east side. And in front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. So it was on the mercy seat for the people and then in front of the mercy seat so that the holy of holies would be cleansed. 15. Then he shall kill a goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Leviticus 16, 16. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins. I love that, all their sins. And so he shall do for the tent of meeting, which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleanness. No one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out and has made atonement for himself and for his house and for all the assembly. This is important. This is a one-man job. There's no helping. <laughs> There's no helping. <laughs> Relating. Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar round about. Even the altar is cleansed with blood. 19. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleannesses of the people of Israel. And when he had made an end to atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he presented the live goat. Verse 21. Aaron shall lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it the iniquities of the people of Israel and all of their transgressions and all of their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. 22. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. People often ask, what the heck is an iniquity? <laughs> Sins and transgressions, I understand. What are iniquities exactly? Scholars say that probably the best way to think of iniquities are those bad attitudes. <laughs> you know, stubbornness, uh, hatefulness, demanding to have your own way. It is a, what we would call a sin of the heart. It's not something they're doing. It's something that their emotions are doing. You weren't allowed to do that with God. <laughs> you weren't supposed to be mad at him. <laughs> Verse 23. Then Aaron shall come into the tent of meeting and shall take off the linen garments that he put on when he went into the holy place and shall leave them there. And he shall bathe his body in water in the holy place and put on the garments and come out and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people and to make atonement for himself and for the people. He had already slaughtered them. Now it was time to destroy them. Uh, verse 25. The fat of the offering, of the sin offering, he shall burn on the altar. And he who lets the goat go to Azazel shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water. Afterward he may come into the camp. The bull for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement for the, in the holy place, shall be carried outside the camp. Their skin and their flesh and their dung shall be burned up with fire. The author of Hebrews makes reference to this, these sacrifices for sin being taken outside the camp. 
in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 11 through 13. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. The innocent blood was placed on the Ark of the Covenant, but the guilty bodies were disposed of outside the camp. Christ was sacrificed in the place he was sacrificed because it was the way the picture foretold it, that he would be sacrificed outside the city. That's where everything that made them unclean would go, outside the city. So when Jesus took on all the sin of the world, it was outside the city. Again, it was prefigured. Verse 28, it is Leviticus 16 again. He who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterward he may come into the camp. And it shall be a statute for you forever, that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves and you shall do no work. I love that part. They were not to work on a Sabbath. Why? Because they needed rest and recreation? <laughs> no. It was because they could not work for their salvation. They could not work for their blessing. They could not work for it. And God is trying to paint the pictures. You cannot work up anything to gain salvation. You got to sit there and believe. <laughs> you can only put your faith in the completed work of the high priest. That's what they were doing. They had to wait for the high priest to come out. They had to wait to see if he came out alive. Because <laughs> if he didn't come out alive, things were not going to be good that year. <laughs> so he says, you shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. All of them. The ones you know about, the ones you don't know about. <laughs> Verse 31. It is a Sabbath solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourselves. That means they were to pray and fast. It is a statute forever. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated as priest in his father's place. I love that. <laughs> the priest who is anointed and consecrated as a priest in his father's place. Now, he's actually talking about Aaron and his sons. But you see the picture. Who was it that offered Jesus on the cross, technically? It was the father. In Isaiah, the father says, I will do this through my servant. It was technically the father. So, of course, you can't separate father and son. But... I like that little hint. <laughs> As priests in his father's place shall make atonement wearing the holy linen garments. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary. He shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar. And he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. And this shall be a statute forever for you. The atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in a year because of all their sins. And Aaron did as the Lord commanded Moses. Now, nowhere in the scripture do we see an instruction for the high priest to place a scarlet red ribbon on both goats. It's not in the original instructions. But later on, 
according to the Jewish writings, there was a very faithful high priest who was crazy about God. <laughs> and when you're crazy about God, guess who's crazy about you? <laughs> God was crazy about this high priest. He was stated to be the best high priest that anyone had ever had. He was the best of the best. He wanted evidence. He wanted evidence that the sacrifices were acceptable to God. So he asks God, is it okay if I wrap a red ribbon around the goats for the Day of Atonement? And if you're happy with them, the red ribbon will turn white. And God says, yes. <laughs> it's not even in Scripture. But the, he, the, the priest wanted the evidence. These people didn't walk in assurance. They knew that they had life for another year, hopefully. <laughs> it was still, I'm crossing my fingers. I don't know if I beat myself up thoroughly enough. But the red ribbons turned white because this man asked God to prove to him, to assure him that the sins of Israel were all taken away. And God went along with it. This happened all the way up to the death of Christ. In fact, it irritates Jewish scholars that Christians know about this. Because we say, hmm, what happened that one year when the red ribbon did not turn white anymore? Not only did they have a red ribbon on the goat that was killed and its blood went into the holy place, they put a red ribbon on the goat that went into the wilderness. And they put a red ribbon on the door of the temple so that everyone, everyone could rejoice. Our sins are far from us. That they've gone out into the wilderness. We will not be held accountable for them. We have the evidence that our God has, is favoring us. They wanted assurance that God was really happy with them. Because how else other would they know? There's only one way. The high priest came out alive. <laughs> he came out alive, so God must be happy. Again, they didn't see the blood applied. They didn't see where the goat went. And yes, one year the goat came back, <laughs> which is why they started pushing it off the cliff, because they knew sins cannot come back. <laughs> We'd be in big trouble. All of this was done not according to Scripture, but at the request of one faithful man so that all of Israel could be assured. They could know that they know that they know. My sins are far from me. I'm going to live for another year. <laughs> this might be where this high priest got the idea. In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, this is the Lord speaking. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Hmm, maybe this is where he got the idea. I love that the Lord answered the desire of that high priest's heart. He wanted assurance, both for himself and for all of Israel. But no one but the high priest ever saw the blood applied to the mercy seat and to the holy place. They only knew what was done was done right because the high priest returned alive. Now, that sounds like Jesus too, doesn't it? How do we know that our Father accepted Jesus' sacrifice? Because he returned alive! <laughs> Once the Day of Atonement was over, the Jewish people could rejoice that their names were written in the Book of Life for another year. 
then they were considered forgiven and cleansed and they could expect to live in God's favor for another year. But it was only for another year. <laughs> it wasn't permanent forgiveness or permanent cleansing. So it was necessary to repeat it year after year after year. But our high priest is so great because he entered into the heavenly tabernacle of heaven with a greater, more perfect sacrifice, having already obtained a greater and more perfect forgiveness and cleansing. Hebrews 9, verses 11 through 14. But Christ, being come and high priest of good things to come, to the new covenant is what he was talking about, by a greater, more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building or creation, neither by the blood of, of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in, entered in once into the holy place, having already obtained eternal redemption for us. Jesus did not need to take physical blood into the Holy of Holies. Jesus is not covering sins up there. <laughs> One of the things Christians don't understand. They think there's still blood in the temple, and when you sin, God covers it again. No. Verse 13. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of the heifer sprinkling the unclean, sanctifying to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge, purge your conscience, purge your sins, purge your conscience from dead works to serve to worship the living God. Remember, the Israelites knew that God had accepted their sacrifice, was that the high priest returned from the most holy place alive. That's our Jesus. And so it is for us. Jesus returned from the dead, proving that he is God's chosen high priest, just like the Aaron's rod budded, resurrection life, and that his offering was accepted and completely effective the moment he died. Not the moment he ascended, but the very moment he died. Jesus was the mercy seat. The blood was on the mercy seat. It was instantaneous. We know this is true because the veil in the temple was torn in half from top to bottom, indicating that the way into the Holy of Holies was now made manifest by faith in the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Matthew 27, verses 50 through 54. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil in the temple was rent in twain from top to bottom, six to eight inches. They knew God did this. God tore open the way into the Holy of Holies, the place where nobody was ever allowed to go. He says, the whole world, come on in. <laughs> the earth did quake and the rocks rent and the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many. Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. The way into the Holy of Holies was opened up, and now all mankind is now invited to freely come to God the Father through faith in God the Son. Jesus' sacrifice was complete and perfect and purchased for us an eternal redemption, an eternal forgiveness, so that our names are now written in the Lamb's book of life, not for one year, <laughs> but for eternity. The Hebrew baby believers knew that they could not be forgiven, cleansed, and put back into right standing with God unless they had a high priest who was chosen by God and who could do all of the necessary work needed to provide for their sins and their guilt, 
to be removed from them. They had believed on Jesus as Messiah, but that didn't automatically equate to Jesus being their high priest, which is why the author of the Hebrews makes so much of Jesus being our high priest, proving from the scriptures that God had always planned for his son to be the so great high priest of heaven itself, who would perfectly and completely fulfill all of the types and shadows of the Old Testament picture book. When we look at the Day of Atonement, we can clearly see that it was a job of one God-ordained man who would do all the work of making atonement. And that one man is our Jesus, the Lamb of God. Amen? Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Father God, for the picture book. So much in the Old Testament is dry. <laughs> and we said, why do I need to read this? <laughs> Because the pictures are hidden in there. The treasure is hidden there. Throughout your word, we see Jesus. We see this so great salvation. We see this so great high priest. And Father God, we thank you for our Jesus. We thank you that he is the high priest who has done everything that was necessary for us to be saved eternally. In Jesus' name, amen. This is Mark Testerman, Senior Pastor of Triumphant Grace Ministries. I want to say thank you for listening to the finished work gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that the good news found throughout the message has richly encouraged you in the love of the Father. Friends, this podcast is supported by the generous financial support of its listeners. And if today's message has ministered to you, then would you consider a gift that ministers back to us? You can text the word GIVE G-I-V-E to 833-632-1315 or you can visit triumphantgrace.com and donate through PayPal or credit card. The cornerstone scripture for Triumphant Grace Ministries is found in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 14. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Great grace, such grace, triumphant grace to you. God bless you.